When the art day gets rough, you just gotta keep on punching. And here's your Thunder Punch Daily with Jersey Droz. Who knows what gems will miss. So, um, real quick, I'm Jersey okay. Droz, cartoonist and teaching artist, and sitting across from me is... I am Ben Hatke, uh, author and uh, cartoonist and creator of stories. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to capture some conversations with some friends who are influenced by some of the things that influence my work as a way to lead up to the release of my next book, uh, The Inscrutable Dr. Bear and the Case of the Two-Faced Statue. It's a mouthful. Uh, and you actually, like, without me even having to ask, you just offered to sit down with me to talk about Indiana Jones. And we've been kind of wanting to do it for a while. Yeah. Like, we've been talking about this for a while, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thrilled that we're finally getting down to it. Yeah, it's no surprise that we would be into a lot of the same things, having grown up at roughly the same time. But it is, sure. what is surprising to me is there are a few areas where the Venn diagram of our interests, like, have, like, extra intensity, and I think this is one of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I, think it's, I think it's true. And it's funny because I was thinking about this, too. It's like um, a lot of people... A lot of people our age, but also beyond, are sort of just like shaped by by the by in a lot of ways the world George Lucas created, mm. the worlds he created. But it's like everybody has different, is more strongly connected to one thing or another, yep. and and that's that's where um, I don't know that's where like Indiana Jones franchise kind of uh, more than Star Wars certainly sticks out as something that was super influential. I remember when Indiana Jones came out, like the the shift fell, and it, it was really surprising to me as a child too, because I was like very much a science fiction kid. I thought that's what okay. I was into. You know, yeah. I liked the Transformers, I liked Star Wars, I liked uh, even Battlestar Galactica, it, like Buck Rogers, the the TV show mm-hmm. Gil Dredd. I loved that too. But when Indiana Jones came out, and like when I encountered it, it like Star Wars just became like it's neat, it's fine. Yeah. But this is what I'm super into now is this guy. Um, yes. So let's start there. I want to. Uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna like talk about like how we encountered this as children and how it sort of like how we how it arrested us, mm-hmm. and then maybe go into like what what do we think the character is about for us? Talk about how it influences our work, and then maybe then talk about some of the different films. I'm sure all these things will go. Will there'll be a, an ebb and a flow to it all? But yeah. at least as a place to start, I want to like find out how did Ben Hatke encounter indiana jones as a character um so my for uh it's it's like you're traveling way back in your own memories and i think this is where the slight difference in just those couple years difference in age would would make a difference Mm -hmm. my first memory my first memory of of seeing an indiana jones thing and being like oh that's indiana jones is is um at a state fair or county fair like a county fair and there are those do you remember those like little mirror things yes! like psychedelic mirror thing yes I don't even know the, what it's called the weirdest tchotchke the world has ever yeah. created it was a mirror with a screen printed image of a popular thing like it was usually it. bands yeah. right but it would also yeah. be like bigfoot and the muscle machines or whatever printed on a mirror in a little paper frame a white paper frame with gold in like uh yes. design on it yes they were weird. Those are weird thing to like mass produce and, and send to county fairs. Uh, <laughs> or, but I remember seeing one from the Temple of Doom, 
and being like and already knowing I'll be like, oh, that's Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. And I knew the Temple of Doom kind of existed and it seemed kind of like almost kind of like a scary, weird, big kid thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe like I just knew of it and I could feel that feeling of maybe being aware of like the bridge scene in that movie, but not having seen it. Okay. Um, And then I saw and I was I was aware enough of Indiana Jones that I believe the first movie that I saw, and I know I saw it in the theater, was uh, Last Crusade okay. in 1989. And I, th- I saw that with my friend Denver. And that sort of, that set the course. And I think that the idea of Indiana Jones had 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 kind of evolved enough by the time it got to that movie that, that, that there, was a, there was a slightly, I don't know. I feel like that's a specific flavor of Indiana Jones that was my gateway and that I kind of carried into my love of the character. Because, mm. uh, uh, I don't know, we, when we talk about the movies, we can talk about the different, slightly different tones of the movies. Yeah, yeah. But it's that interesting my... that that's your first one, because, like, yeah, that is the more, um, I would say, fantastical of the three in terms of, like, tone. It's more, I'd say it's more yeah. generally upbeat, especially yeah. compared to Temple of Doom. And it's sort of more reverential toward uh, toward the the academic side of Indiana Jones. I ah, you're right. Say. There's a you lot know? more of him like, being a professor in that one. Yeah, and by putting Sean Connery in it with his like like Grail obsession, and that that that's why to me the the quintessential uh, iconic Indiana Jones item is the Grail Diary. Mm. There's the hat, there's the whip, there's the jacket, and those are all imprinted. But mm-hmm. that Grail diary caught me in a way that is like, like, oh, this is what you do. You carry a little leather brown sketchbook with you everywhere you go when you're on a quest, and you draw pictures in it. Yeah. And that just like just gelled with what I was already about enough that I was like, this is it. This is this is for me. Same. Yeah. I mean, this is in Dr. Bear throughout the entire book is he yeah. got this book. Right. And yes. it's full yeah. of drawings and notes. You it's, carry the book with you. You have to have yeah. it. And, and, and I, I quote constantly when I do professional development for teaching artists and I talk about like making lesson plans and like documenting your classroom experience. Sure. I pull up that slide of, of Sean Connery saying I wrote it in the diary. So I don't have to remember it yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's like it's such a good i mean i don't know it depends on your 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 philosophy of of how you manage your brain and memory and stuff like that but i love it i i am such a sketchbook believer like a Mm -hmm. true believer in notebook keeping and sketchbook keeping and uh like that's what i when i go to school visits that's that's one of the things i end up talking to kids about a lot Mm -hmm. too is uh, a theory of theory of sketchbooks and and the and the grail diary like the problem the the it's not a serious like dark side but the dark side of the grail diary is it looks so beautiful and it's like such a beautiful prop that um that i always and i think it's easy for anyone to fall into the thought of i want a beautiful sketchbook and everything has to look great in it yeah my my actual real life theory of sketchbooks is no you buy a cheap sketchbook and you just throw ideas into it and you scribble in it and you you let all the the half formed things go into that. Yeah. Um, so I that, like while I appreciate wanting to have that Grail Diary thing, um, it can get constricting. 
as a real as a real sketchbook practice right as a real practice absolutely and and yeah i have the i I have the same frictions with my students when i'm working with them and like i like with middle schoolers in particular i'll I'll use the metaphor of like i barf into it and i sift through the chunks later is a way yeah that's exactly it yeah (laughs) but it's funny that like when i look at the grail diary i see this tattered beat up well-traveled book i don't see this beautiful pristine artifact i see this thing that's been used you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's like I try to draw their attention to that, too. It's like, look at how careworn this thing is. It's like yeah. it's ready to fall apart. He's got a rubber band around it for crying out yeah. loud, you know, it's the best. <laughs> it's taking it with you. It's taking that work. It's like, don't don't leave it. Bring it. Put, yeah. put it in your pocket. Bring something along. Yeah, uh, that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, OK, that that's a really arresting image right there is like mm-hmm. the, the artifact of experience, knowledge, wisdom, and also um, clues towards the mysterious and the eternal and the divine in there too, right? Yeah. It's about the grail, you know, but, yeah. what, but what were some other things that you think, and this is, you know, memory's tricky. We're always making it up to a degree, but as you go through this imaginal experience of, of conjuring your memories, what do you think young Ben was, was feeling when he encountered this world of this, you know, country hopping adventurer? Yeah. So I think all, all through it, if I if I notice the places I pause in Indiana Jones movies or pause and rewatch, it's it's really is the classroom scenes. Like um, I think that was the the grain of my love of like uh, interwar uh, the interwar years, like mm-hmm. the 1930s, right? Like they live in my imagination. Have you ever seen Midnight in Paris? Uh, the Woody Allen movie Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson. Oh no, no, I haven't. Okay, it's a great movie. You should watch it. It's okay. it's a ton of fun. He okay. um he's this guy in in Paris with his just awful fiance. Um, <laughs> it's it's Rachel McAdams and she's clearly having like the best time being this like snippy horrid person, and uh they're in Paris again. It's clearly not working out, and so he keeps going. He's a writer and he keeps going on walks, and then. At one point, and he loves that 1920s Paris with Ernest Hemingway and all these people, like, all at the same place. Uh-huh. And at one point, this car, he's at midnight, and he's sitting on these steps, and this car comes around the thing, and people are like, get in, get in. And he's like, okay. And they drive down the street, and he's in the 1920s then. It's like this weird time slip. Okay. And then, um, spoilers if anybody wants to watch the movie, he eventually meets, like, I think one of, like, Picasso's muses or something like this, and... He, he starts to like this girl and she idealizes she's living in the 20s, but she idealizes the the Belle Epoque, the like the the late Victorian kind of time when like all these painters and everybody were, were all together. And uh, so so it's like everybody has this like image of this perfect golden time. Yeah. And when you get to that perfect golden time, they're just they've just got their own image of a perfect golden time that's passed. Right. Right. And but I think for me, it was always like. This time when, uh, like Albert Einstein and Amelia Earhart were both like having adventures either of the mind or the like spirit, all like in the same place, and both wearing like cool leather jackets in real like they have like Einstein's jacket, like he wore a leather jacket too. It was like this cool time, and <laughs> <laughs> when and and there was a lot of stuff going on with with airplanes and stuff like that where it just felt like. Like, it, like, but that's it. Like airplanes and physics were both like exploding. So it felt like these yeah. horizons were opening up. And I just, um, I love that. 
I was I was thinking about this recently. My wife is on a trip, and so she's flying a plane. And the conversation we were having about like how we've managed to find a way to make this miraculous experience the most terrifying and uncomfortable experience of all time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I look at the scenes in Indiana Jones where he's flying on a plane. It looks luxurious, and so you yeah. got like the excitement. It's like a table. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> he could like he could like lean back, put his hat down, and like take a nap. You you can't yeah, take yeah, a nap yeah. on a plane. Everybody's got those uncomfortable neck pillows. On. And like when I look at that, like I think like they're really you feel the excitement of I can go to another country in hours now, right? And yeah. we're gonna make it like look. Here's a drink. We're gonna bring a cocktail, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so I can see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. No, it's like oh, oh god, I'm touching everybody. Yeah. <laughs> It kind of takes a little bit of the magic, magic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's like, those are some of the things that, um, that really got me, I think like mm. this, I, but the travel and yeah, definitely, definitely the travel, definitely this idea of the thirties, definitely this idea of like, like the academic leads to, um, leads to these journeys, uh, very much in the, in the last crusade that happens. I love it. Uh, I love it that everything you're talking about right now is all about like the, the, the tone, the climate, the trappings, the props. It's all yeah. of these like immersive pieces of it that, that you're responding to. Cause like for me, it was more of despite all of that, that I fell in love with this story because like when oh, I first, interesting. when I first encountered, it, I'm like, why would I want to watch a story about an old guy from old timey times with like a pistol, oh, you know, it's yeah. like, I want to see laser guns and cool, sleek ships. And the way it was sold to me was my parents went and saw Raiders of the Lost Ark in the theater and like came home and told me about it. Um, oh, okay. Cause it, I was really young. What, what, what year was that? It was like the early eighties. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I come from a big family, so big movie outings was, like, tricky. And so we didn't go to very many movies when I was growing up. Um, and so they said, hey, we saw this movie with this adventure. And it's Han Solo. You love Han Solo. And I was like, I do love Han Solo. And, like, but and I, I kid you not, this is the, the, you remember, and maybe this will land well with you as somebody who has children. Like, when you tell a story to a child, it's sometimes invisible to you how they're receiving and putting it together. And what I remember them telling me, I don't remember the exact words of the image that I received. And they were telling me the story of this movie Raiders of the Lost Ark is yeah. The Han Solo guy, he goes to this place. They got a box, like don't look in the box. And then they look in the box and ghosts come out and they melt everybody's faces off. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I never want to see this movie. <laughs> oh, but you know, now I'm thinking of Dr. Bear and, and, how it's full of exactly that. It's full of terrifying <laughs> imagery. Swirling around. And terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it was. You took your almost previewing version of Indiana Jones <laughs> and let that settle in on your subconscious. That's and, great. And I remember my mom said something to the extent of a ghost whispers in uh, Han Solo's ear, don't look in the box. So he doesn't look in the box and his face doesn't melt off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so but around fifth grade, Temple of Doom comes out. And now I'm like, well, I got to see this because it's Han Solo. I love Han Solo. So if it's him in a movie. So and I look at the imagery, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really like he's like in a brown shirt. He's got brown pants. He's just got like a, you know, a leather jacket on. It, it, he's not. Yeah, as, yeah. He doesn't have the vest and he doesn't have a big furry dog friend. I don't know. Yeah. But I went and saw it in the theater, and it was the first movie I saw in the theater by myself. I'm 11 years old. It's Temple of Doom. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You yeah. Went, you went right for the hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being in the theater thinking, like, should I be watching this? Is this okay? Yeah. 
especially like the 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 molar ram and the guy with the heart and everything yeah but um yeah i was, like I was terrifying but there was something about it was just the right kind of scary that okay. i felt uh, i didn't feel there was anything transgressive it wasn't the way i watched friday okay. the 13th as a kid right like i watched okay. that like oh i shouldn't be watching this oh this is right. gross it felt like a darkness that was, uh, again, 11-year-old Jersey would never have the words for this, but it, it was a darkness that offered mystery into something else. It felt like it mm -hmm. was hinting at something bigger that I didn't understand. There was a lot I didn't get, and it had a kid in it, right? It had short yeah. run, and yeah. it was. I was watching him. This is a big reason the character resonated with me as a child is he's nice to children, right? He's oh, so cool. Yeah, he's sexy, he's swaggering, he murders people. He murders people a lot in these movies. But when he saves those kids in the Temple of Doom and he says, oh, let's get out of here, he's like, yeah, all of us, I fall apart every time. Like that scene just grips me. That by the is so cool. So, yeah, and as a kid, I, I picked up on that. And it's like, he's, wow. he's amazingly cool, but he likes kids. Because he's sent to get this artifact back for this tribe, and he ends up getting the real treasure back for the tribe, and it's the children. <laughs> That's right. Okay. That is your Indiana Jones. That is fantastic. <laughs> that makes that blows my Indiana Jones out of the water, I feel like. Because my Indiana Jones is all like, like vain, selfish things. <laughs> like... Uh, like, oh, look, you can actually, like, books and scrolls are sexy, too. Like, you can, <laughs> like, he's cool with his glasses on and with his glasses off. Well, in Raiders Lost Ark, the very first time you see him as a professor, a stool is totally coming on to him as he's yeah, up there being a nerd exactly. with his bow tie. He's yeah, being a total nerd with his bow tie, and I love that scene. And you know what else I love? I like, on the, it was later viewings that I realized that there's a whole, like, you know, there's that classroom scene. Like you realize his his classroom's like seventy percent young women. Yeah. The bell ring. Marcus Brody comes in. The bell rings. Everybody files out, and there's this one kid in a vest in the back. Yeah. And he's like, he's got this sour look on his face, and he just plops an apple down and he leaves. Yeah. And I'm, what is this kid's story? I would love to write Indiana Jones fan fiction about that guy. <laughs> like it's the whole story about what his deal is what he was like he was clearly going to stay after class to talk about something oh now marcus is here <laughs> i'll give my chance <laughs> oh i love it that's the story you've got it's not that like he's there to like meet girls because he knows that all the girls take this class <laughs> but he's just like so overmatched by indiana jones's <laughs> charm he's like yeah here's your apple a-hole <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting, but that's there was, fantastic. Yeah. But like there was also, I think I picked up on the fact that he, unlike, well, Han Solo is like charming because he's, he's like, he thinks he's bigger than he is, right? He comes in, there's that scene where he's chasing the stormtrooper on the corner and then he sees all the stormtroopers, they shooting at him and he runs the other way. But yeah. more so Indiana Jones, he, he's not only overmatched, but he shows when he's in pain. Like there's the scene where yeah. he's getting beat up by the big guy by the plane in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And like you see his knees wobble and he falls down. It's humiliated to see how much he's getting clobbered by this guy. Right. Yeah. And as a kid growing up, this is partially the way I was wired, but it was also the culture I was growing up in. There's a lot of shame involved with failing. And so mm -hmm. watching him fail spectacularly. Right. Mm -hmm. it's over and over again. And even, like you just pointed out, in his stories, in the first three films, it's like he's going after this treasure, but he finds out 
that the goalposts have to shift. It's actually not about this treasure. It's about that treasure. Fortune and glory? Nope. It's about bringing the children home. Yeah. We got the Ark away from the Nazis, but then the bureaucrats got it. The, the Grail can't leave the Grail castle, right? Yeah. So what yeah. was the treasure? Oh, in illumination. That was the treasure. Oh, okay. It was also his dad. And like, also, yeah. That's what he, yeah. So it's, mm. So watching a hero basically not win and yeah. in order to his minor victories like climbing up the truck after getting dragged around by the truck yeah. and getting yeah, shot yeah. in the arm and everything it's like you watch him he's a wreck by the end of these stories he's not handsome at the end he's he's like uh as you said just before we start recording it's not the years it's the mileage right yeah, yeah. Is that how the Sweaty, line disheveled. <laughs> so I think as a kid, I really respond to the fact that he's not, this isn't easy for him, and I'm watching him fail, and when I fail, it feels awful. But I feel like when he fails, he feels awful too, but he's, he keeps going, and it doesn't yeah. always turn out great for him, right? Like that was something, like, I think the same reason, I, the reason I fell in love with Peter Parker's Spider-Man was the same thing. Yes, yeah. So. Yeah, that's a big one, yeah. So, I don't know. Can we talk about, uh, you know, the outfit that you had as a kid? <laughs> we can definitely talk about the outfit that I had when I was a kid. All right. Uh, how much of this is pepper business is getting under the mic? It's it's adding texture to the discussion. Okay. Okay. It's, Somebody's it, walking by and he's <laughs> doggy. His doggy friend is uh, walking by and he's saying hello. Uh, <laughs> so, uh Yes. So my indie outfit. So Indiana Jones gave me, I think, three. I think it gave me. I had uh, it gave me a leather jacket fetish. I I, I <laughs> loved leather jacket. Like it it set that. Um, I had. Uh, we went to Disneyland when I was like fifteen, and that's when I saw the Indiana Jones, uh, um, stunt spectacular. Is that what it's called? I think. Oh wow. It was a Indiana Jones stunt show, and they had the um, the plane kind of like from Raiders, kind of doing that like turn around, turn around thing, and he's fighting and all this stuff. And uh, they had the hats. Oh my gosh! And it was a big deal. I was like, "This is the, like this is the souvenir that I'm bringing home. I'm getting an Indiana Jones hat." And and they had like I can remember like they had an array of them in this shop and they were all like slightly different colors. I don't know if they were supposed to be from the different films or what, but slightly different designed hats. And I, I remember pouring over it and trying to decide which one was mine. And I wish I knew what happened to that hat. I don't still have it. Oh, nor do I have that jacket, which was a cousin's hand me down jacket, um, wow. that I wore through mm, the second half of high school and took off to college with me that pretty much wore out. Um, and that definitely gave me the, like, I don't know, like, I don't know where the satchel thing came from, but I really, really believe in, like, I love having a side bag like that. Oh, that just yeah, best. that character sparked an obsession I have had since I was like 12 years old to find the perfect bag. The, the perfect one. Yeah. 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 And, and I remember I even did in ninth grade, I did a, for public speaking class, I did a speech on why I thought it was ridiculous that purses were the purview of women. And it was like, yeah. my, it was my, this was the flag I wanted to plant for gender equality, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like, why is it that if I have a bag, you're going to call it a purse and it somehow, you know, is inappropriate to the, how I present myself as a person. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I got stuff to carry too, you know? Yeah. And, and if I were to revise it, I would say like, and also 
pockets on women's pants should be much much larger but that's a whole other thing but <laughs> but it was it started like when i saw him with this pouch on his side yeah. and he had all this stuff in his, his sketchbooks in there he, like when he's doing mm-hmm. like the, the the map room in raiders lost ark he, has yeah, a he pulled out his own little notebook yeah yeah he's got it and i'm like that looks so helpful <laughs> yeah so yeah i yeah. i have many many shoulder bags now and they all they 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 match my different moods but it's still i'm i'm yeah. always looking for that that one bag the one move. that's the bag yeah. yes yeah. yeah and i like that too and i i always thinking about and also like i, I don't know I, I tried to even design that little leather sketch kit with my sister sarah and that was you know like adventure inspired so yeah, yeah having having the having the travel kit having like your th- cuz like he puts on his it's not a costume that he's putting on Right. But it's always the same outfit, so you feel like it's his it's his going out kit. Like this yeah. is the junk that he needs and it's well worn and the bag and the stuff in it is part of that. Mm. Um and so like I felt like like part of me was like like like, oh, I want to live like I need a kit like that. You know, like <laughs> live a life where having a leather jacket makes sense because of abrasions because you're climbing around on stuff or or whatever it is um so i because at some point i do want to talk about what is aspirational about the character well let's 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 shift to that because that's i think that's a great place to go let's what is (laughs) what is it that feels aspirational about the character to you ben okay so so being a being a last crusade entry point guy i feel like that's where he was slightly less of a scoundrel in that one like because yeah. like there like he's not like even in in raiders like he's clearly like even marcus brody's like oh we're not gonna um oh the museum will buy your pieces without asking any questions just like always he's clearly like like it's he like people are online are sometimes like oh indiana jones is really actually a bad archaeologist but that's admitted in the films yeah yeah. He's 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 not doing a good job of archaeology. He's stealing relics from other countries and putting them in a museum, which I know that you uh, uh, have, are grappling with with uh, Doctor Bear. Right. Um, but where was I going with that? But oh, I think the aspirational part of it was like I I threw. You know, because there's the characters, and then there's the kind of the version of the character that you build up in your own mind. Um, and my version of the character has this like, uh, like what I think of as like a ninety percent, ten percent split in their life, um, and it's all in that moment where he goes in. Like it's when to know, knowing when to climb out the window. Mm. So he goes into his office. Everybody's coming to get their paper graded or whatever, and he's just fed up. Yeah. And then you see him climb out the window, and I'm like, no one to climb out the window is a is a big one. That's good. <laughs> uh, and then like I get the impression like my in my built up version of him he's kind of built a life for himself where it's like 90% academic study classroom work and there's like and it's like 10% going out and doing like the outbound adventures mm. and to me that actually seems just about right like mm. I love the idea of adventures and stuff but I wouldn't want to be on an adventure all the time I truly love like sitting at my desk and working on my on my stuff and I'm like Angelica Angelica's got this song that we both realize we're like obsessive about it's um the Skylab plan is the name of the track and it's from the Steve Jobs 
movie soundtrack. And I don't even think Angelica has seen the Steve Jobs movie. She just loves this song. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the perfect flow state song. It's like this song that when it's playing, like you're doing your really good work and the whole world is closed out. Ah, uh, yeah. And and like that song, like she's right. It kind of epitomizes that state. Like it, when you get into that space, like I, that's that for me, that's one of the happiest places. Mm-hmm. But I've also had a lot of happy places like traveling around, like punctuating travels where you're like, wow, life is amazing. Or like, I never thought I'd be in this place or yeah. under this, tr- whatever it is. So I like that. Like, like I kind of carry that. Um, that's aspirational about it and, and stuff like like I love heroes where where they are very, very smart. And Indiana Jones, like he just is like like they're like and it's an understated intelligence. Like like it's like, oh, count to 10. No, in Greek. OK. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's, yeah. So yeah. like like he's, he's part of the reason he can do that is because he's learned a ton of languages and yeah. clearly has a facility for it. The, the best part of Crystal Skull that I. Like, because Crystal Skull is not great at all, but <laughs> but the part where he's at in the classroom and the part where he's in his house kind of hold up, mm. and then like the uh, uh, Shia LaBeouf character brings him this scrap of information, and he's like, "Oh, if I can walk this through Mayan, I can probably get a translation." And you're like, yeah. that's, that's cool. Yeah, it, it, um, it was not lost on me as a child that in Temple of Doom, which was my formative one, like. He, they wind up in uh, India, and yeah. like he just like starts speaking to the to, yeah. the, to the people yeah, yeah. there in their language, right? He he starts translating for to, for Willie and Short Round, and like right. he, they they don't they don't hang a lampshade on it. It just it happens as this natural thing that yeah. in the story super and as a kid, understated. Yeah, it's super understated. But like you you receive that when you're watching the story. Yeah. Right? yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and so I feel like um. Like for aspirational stuff, then I'd say like the two other things I say, think we're thinking about with that was um, so we we're going to go about, go through the movies and stuff. But like I feel like the other thing that formed my idea of Indiana Jones was moving from The Last Crusade kind of right into the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. OK, which is which was a really I feel like it was a really audacious thing for George Lucas to be like, now we're just going to do. A series on it. We're gonna go film on location. I get. I. I think I read that he's like lost tons of money doing this, and there's no magic in it. Wow. It's just history. It's just him living the life of the 20th century and interacting with history and meeting like like in the first one he meets like his dad is gonna go on an academic tour and you're like oh this is where his sort of academic journey starts. He's a little boy. His dad takes him on this European academic tour. And he ends up talking like the dad is talking to to Sigmund Freud and, and Carl Jung in the, like the first wow. episode. And there's this moment where he's looking in the in this window and sees a painting and you realize it's the Klimt's the kiss and stuff. And, and it's just like all this. And he meets everybody. And he's got this like so he lives this life. You see him in the those that series like live this like very open to history that he's living life. And that's the other thing I try to feel like I'm trying to take is like living like like you're living through somebody else's like idyllic good old days right like somebody else will feel about the time that we're living the way I feel about the 1930s (laughs) as somebody who as somebody who works with teenagers a conversation I have constantly is like while you were there (laughs) when Nirvana first came out I'm like yeah yeah it it was a thing I guess like 
there's a patina on that in their mind uh-huh. that's not never going to be there for us, but it, like yeah. it's there. Yeah, like um, for for me with like like no real refined musical taste, I was like, yeah, they were loud. And Weird Al did a really funny yeah. parody video, and they're like, that's it. That's all you got. Yeah, to say? Yeah, yeah. That's all you got to say about Dave Grohl. I'm like, who's that? <laughs> he he was in the band. So yeah, yeah, it's it's funny how yeah. we always cast that back like 20 years. Yeah, but, yeah, and yeah, it's like yeah. So you cast it back, and it gets that kind of like magic to it. Um, so so there's um. So I've got like like for a while I thought my my sort of like trinity of of influences was like like Jim Henson and Leonardo da Vinci, and for a while like my third was Indiana Jones and it always felt weird because it's he's a fictional character he's not real, um, and I'm only kind of like I'm even more than with Henson and Leonardo I'm taking like 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 I'm bringing a lot of like my own more than my own ideas than than you can like you can't ask like like real life questions about Indiana Jones, like the way you can about Jim Henson. What what I think is interesting about that though, I mean, I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who used He-Man as a uh, moral barometer oh, right. for himself for most of his formative years, is that you chose a fictional character who is so, I don't want to use the cliche of deeply flawed, but he is morally ambiguous, right? Yeah. He, he is neither really bad or really good. Like you point out, like they telegraph from the very start, he's a scoundrel in certain ways. He's a bad archeologist, but he's also a a good professor and he makes the right decisions. Like when, you know, he's like, uh, I'm going to save Marion. I'll blow up the ark unless you give me Marion and Belloc calls his bluff. It's like, you're really going to blow this up. And he's like, okay, I won't, I guess you can capture Marion. Right. (laughs) He, he leaves her tied up in a tent so that he can find the ark, right? She's like, no, you got to get me out of here. He's like, but if I let you go, they're going to start looking for me, and I can't have that, right? Yeah. He, and like I said, he murders a lot of people. There's that famous scene, the one that got so many laughs when we were kids, where the guy has the scimitar, the crowd parts, the big musical swell happens, and then he just fires a pistol and murders the guy in cold blood. Yeah. But... There's the scene in Temple of Doom where the big guy who's beating him up starts get, gets caught in the conveyor belt. And what does Indiana Jones do? Does he laugh at him? No, he tries to help him. He tries to get yeah. to pull the guy out, but he, he's, he's unsuccessful and it's gross and awful and everything. So, And he saves the children. So like, it's interesting that for a fictional character to use as like a inspiration that way, you chose somebody who is so, again, uh, ambiguous. Like the way humans right. are, because because yeah. Leonardo was ambiguous. Jim Henson, yeah. for all of his wonderful things, was an ambiguous man. You know, yeah, he's a human truly. being. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, and that's the thing. They're all human <laughs> beings. Uh, what I learned about Leonardo da Vinci, like he had all these pacifist tendencies, but he went to work for Caesar Borgia for like a year, who was like the worst. He would like cut people in half and like hang them up you know like a terrible part. and leonardo da vinci worked for him for a year as a military engineer and he's like oh that's, wow. that's an interesting thing and they uh, got snowed in in a little village he got snowed in a little village with caesar borgia and machiavelli mm, in real oh life my, oh my god like snowed in together for a winter wow. in a very small space so like, like you gotta know like they probably spent the whole winter talking but um but I think like these aspirational character like people are, are were sort of like really slanted towards like work and what I want to be doing and stuff like this. And so yeah. I I discovered um, a couple of years ago this guy uh, who is a real person, Patrick Leigh Fairmore, who um, is a lot like Indiana Jones. He um, was 
he, he was expelled from his like fancy British school in the 30s when he was like 18 or something like this. And he decided, I'm going to, so why I'm expelled from school, so I'm going to walk from the edge of Holland to Constantinople, do a walking tour. And he did. um, And he was picking up languages along the way because he was really, really smart. And he wrote it all, he wrote a diary as he went. And then as an older man, he turned the diary into this like journey book. It's a really beautiful book. And it gives you this like eye into Europe before before World War II and like what it was, wow. um, just such a be- and he's such a beautiful writer and, and, and like extremely intelligent, kind of like little Indiana Jones-ish in his like scoundrelly ways. But then in the and when the the war started, he ended up down in Greece and they captured a uh, a Nazi general and like put put him in these caves and just like hid out with him in these caves for like like a year or something like this from like the end of the war. Wow. So his his thing in the war was taking this one general sort of out of play and just like holding him up in a cave and watching over them and 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 like and also nobody like for a while it was occupied so they were just like like hiding up there pretending to be shepherds uh, while Nazis crawled around the hills and stuff. So oh my god, he's just a super interesting guy and and um, so he's sort of like melded with that that version of for that like aspirational I don't know, bit. <laughs> So. Uh, no, I, I I love it. I I mean, and yeah, this is something that I'm really interested in exploring in my work is this idea of exploring heroism and villainy with more of an ambiguous eye. Is that it's not yes. one thing and the other because that is something that I feel like culturally um, we well, I mean, this is even in Tolkien, and I'm not trying to disparage Tolkien, but it's like light versus dark, Gandalf the White. Whiteness yeah. and purity yeah, yeah, yeah. is ultimately good, and darkness and corruption is evil, and we got to keep those two things distant from one another, you know. And it, the what I would have originally framed as a critique of Indiana Jones is actually, I think, one of the core strengths of the character. Now that, and I, I'm literally coming to this right now with you, Ben, is mm-hmm. this idea of yeah, like yeah. what what Alan Watts would call. Uh, the irreducible rascality of the human condition, right, is like expressed in this wow, character. Wow, what a great phrase! Oh, <laughs> is that his phrase for real? That's awesome. That's from one of his talks. Yeah, like when I heard oh, that, I was like, no, oh, that's great. Yeah, we we all have it. We all have that's this. It. Yeah, and we do. And you have to like. I feel like there's like a lot of good, healthy work could be done by just admitting that. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, I don't know. And and you're right. Like, and it's it's weird that it's from the same. Um, like minds in a lot of ways, Star Wars and Indiana Jones. But like, I have a friend, um, it's our friend Colin who does the video work. He said once he made this comment once where he was like, "Like, I am one of the biggest Star Wars fans ever, but I feel like it's possible that Star Wars gave our generation uh, didn't serve our generation well in that it presented evil as so obvious and easy to see." Yeah. Yeah. You know, like like the evil empire looks like the evil empire. Right. Right. And that can be really hard. Like and 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 obviously that they're they're going back and and like aping like an actual evil empire. Well, in their look in the look of the empire, but at the same time even that was sort of artistically orchestrated. 
but I don't uh, want I don't want to argue with Colin with with him not here. But like I also wonder as a counterpoint, there is the fact that people play act as the Empire, right? You have the five hundred first Legion going around. Everybody's dressed as stormtroopers, and people ooh. I think you know reasonably say like, dude, you're kind of cosplaying Nazis, fantasy Nazis. Yeah. That's weird. I'm like, well. There's also the fact that they're play acting the darkness in them, right? Like mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. there's an element of that irreducible rascality that is, as, right. in this, that is safely explored in this kid's story. And, yeah. but yeah, but at the same time, it, it's, 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 I don't think it's, it's quite as simple as that because there is the whole idea of like purging the darkness. And yeah. what, this is one of the reasons I actually liked the prequels. They really talked about balance. They really reframed it as we're bringing mm, back. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because like cause cool. I, I don't think that was there in the first trip the the what episodes four through six I don't think that that yeah. that sense of balance wasn't really being expressed as clearly as it was in for the sure prequels so anyway um well yeah, so hum- humanity in the stories yeah that's, yeah in that's this cool. story that has like ridiculous names and and monsters and you know some problematic imagery like one of the things that i think that doesn't travel well to the 21st century is the banquet scene in temple of doom with the chilled monkey brains and like like look at how weird look at the weird food brown people eat i'm like oh that's yeah 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 (laughs) like and that's the thing like i i um I, I watched uh, Last Crusade, at least I know I watched Last Crusade with the girls. And then like, I was thinking about Temple of Doom and I was just like, but I'll get real, I'll get real uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, I love that movie a lot. And I think Molaram is a truly scary villain. I think he's terrific. Yeah. The the acting that that uh, actor did is, is great. But yeah, there there's like a few things that I feel like, oh, well, that doesn't. You know, but then yeah. other in other ways, like like I know like some people really I mean, maybe we should like just jump into talking about the films. Like some people really don't like Willie Scott, and I love Willie Scott. I think she's terrific. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I ended up really loving that too. Like like she's very loud and very much a like taking up a lot of space. Yeah, in that movie, but she's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, she she oh. gives voice to all the discomfort I would feel in all those situations because see yeah. I didn't I didn't look at like the jumping on trains and climbing up trucks as like I want to do that you know I was like that mm, all mm. looks really scary and and like again that's what I appreciated by him like actually expressing pain I'm like yeah that's probably what it would feel like to get shot in the arm what he just did there you know yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's anyway so um, I don't know if there's anything left to explore on that. I, I guess like, the one thing I would ask is like, are there any other places in your work that you can point directly to, to say like, this is where this character or this kind of worldview influenced one of my projects so that people could find it in that project. Wow. That's an interesting one. Um, I do feel that uh, th- like, honestly, like things in the basement now is the closest one. Oh, um, because that is, like a uh, that's it's an underworld journey it's a it's a like and as he's going down uh thing in the basement uh i don't know for anybody listening is the story of milo a little boy whose mother sends him down to the basement to get uh, a missing sock that goes is for one of his his mother has uh new newborn twins and there are three socks and one is missing so he's sent down to the basement where the laundry room is to get this sock and something, some small thing has got the sock and he just catches a glimpse of it. And behind the furnace, he finds a room he never suspected. In the back of that room, he finds stairs going down. The basement gets 
lower and weirder as he goes down. But also, like, as he goes, travels down in the background of the story, um, we are going back through history. We're going back through art history specifically. Um, and that that kind of questing felt um, felt Indiana Jones' to me mm. in parts. Um, um, there's definitely the part where you, like, they get to a dead end and there's this trunk and he opens it up and uh, it's empty, but then they find like a passage below it and stuff like this. So, so I was channeling a lot of that uh, underground exploration kind of tomb robbing kind of feeling mm. uh, there. Uh, so I think, I think that would be the one. Um, yeah. And Milo's got the, Milo's got the satchel. So that's, that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> Gotta have that. Um, I don't know. I remember when the other you first... question I want. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, please. Oh, the only other question I wanted to ask your opinion on is because we touched briefly on it in Temple of Doom, so I'm backtracking just a second. Mm-hmm. But I had a question to you about like so a lot of the, especially the banquet scene, a lot of that stuff really doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. But the whole one of the threads through it is like exoticism, like yeah. the exoticism of travel, and like I think a lot about that, like where is that good and and where 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 is the line where where that becomes problematic yeah and i think a lot of people are think think along those lines but it's hard no and i actually i think what redeems the ultimate doom for me is how he comes around and this is like in a lot of his stories is he shows up with this secular colonialist point of view right mm-hmm and like it, it, he knows about the Shankara stones. He's familiar with their history because he knows a lot of stuff because he's a scholar. But he's like, fortunate glory, I'm going to get those stones. I'm going to get all of them. And it'll be right. It'll be, but then at the end, the, the old man says to him, now you understand the power of the stones. He's like, yeah, I get it now. Right. And so it, it, it takes the exoticism okay. and in, in the sort of spiritual aspect of the story. Same thing with the Holy Grail. Right. It's like, okay. well, what did I get? Illumination. Um, you should, what's her name? The the Nazi girl thought it was a prize. Well, what do you think it is? It's illumination. So it's about this secular man coming around to a broader perspective on something that <laughs> is no longer an exotic ah. weird thing. Well, yeah. why are you laughing like that? <laughs> no, I just, I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> so I mean, this is this is really what again. I can talk about my book. One of the themes that, without spoiling it, that I wanted to explore was this idea of like, what do you do when you realize that you've been looking at the world through that sort of secular colonialist point of view, and you realize that even though you thought you were a good guy, right, it belongs in a museum. Museums are great. Museums give us access. My wife works in a museum, for crying out loud. It gives us access to things that we would otherwise not have access to. Yeah. But ambiguity, it keeps things from people because they decide what gets shown and what doesn't get shown. Yeah. And in the case of some of these museums, they got these obelisks that weren't made there. Yeah, we made it accessible to you, so now you can see an Egyptian obelisk. How'd you get that as Egyptian obelisk? Oh, Napoleon, it's okay. You know? (laughs) (laughs) It was stolen long enough ago. Uh, Yeah, and and then... like a statute of limitations. (laughs) You get these weird... statute of limitations, that's right. So, but then you get these weird conversations where they, they, you hear people say, well, well, we're the best people to preserve it because the place yeah. where it came from is so uh, kind of up in the air in terms of like, what's the ruling power, who's in charge, and are they going to take good? Oh, well, so in other words, you, first world country, get to be the arbiter of what gets kept and what doesn't. 
So it's it's ambiguous again. Here here we are yeah. with that. So I feel that was like something I, I felt, and this is why I love this book so much, and why I really hope a lot of people read it is that I wanted to take a hero and put him in that situation and figure out how to make that guy come out, not heroically, but accepting the ambiguity of it and deciding wow. to do his best with it. Right? Yeah. And there's a line where it's, he says, you're, "You're you're given the world where you already like." You already the museums already exist. Yes, yes, and he runs it. He runs he runs a menagerie where he's like, "Look, I'm keeping these cursed things safe from the world, or rather, keeping the world safe from these cursed things." And the spirits that right. have them, they're happy here. Look at them; they're really happy. And when he realizes that that's not exactly the full story, and then there's even a moment where the other heroes in the story say, "Like, well, hey, if we do this and this and this, where here's our pointer scene. We're talking about the quest we have to do to get our thing, our MacGuffin right. back." If we get that, then you can go back to your life. And he's like, I can't. I can never go back to that life. I can't be complicit in the suffering of these things. Right? Yeah. And so, okay, well, now it's time to sit with that tension of opposites and figure out a new way. And that, that I think, was the real fun of the, the project for me, was like figuring out, well, how do you, how do I have this guy not be um, reprehensible? And Yeah. But at the same time, accept the fact that he has done harm. Right. So mm -hmm. anyway, and that's like, that's so different from what you were talking about that I was thinking about, um, the Captain America and the winter soldier mm. movie. Cause they, I love that. I love the, I love the scene, even though like, I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know what I think about the scene, but I, I, <laughs> it feels good to watch where like they've realized that shield is Hydra. Mm. Or is infected with Hydra and all this stuff, and uh, Nick Fury is like, "Well, we can we can salvage this," and he's like, "No, we can't salvage this. It's all gonna go. Yeah. This is it. We're tearing the entire thing down." Yeah. And you feel like you, the audience, are like, "Yes, yes, we're gonna tear down the entire institution." Yeah. But then, like, I don't know. That feels really good, but that it's not really oftentimes the great solution. It, it it's an absolutely human impulse, right? Yeah. I, I have been in enough unpleasant situations in my life where I'm like, well, just tack with all of this. I'm out. Yeah. Right. I, I remove myself. And sometimes that's the, the exact right move is to you know extricate yourself from the whole thing. But then there's also it's like, well, at some point you have to realize that you were living in an imperfect world. And like I I did this project for years called the Captain Seriously Project. You, you're familiar with it. Yes. And I remember when we got to the eighth grade book, I had the insight that these kids are not going to take a colorful superhero story seriously. It's going to feel like we're lying to them. And mm. I was, po I pointed out to the the group I was working with them, like, you know, these kids are into the hunger games. They're into the divergent series. They're into all this post-apocalyptic dystopian stuff. Why? Because they're inheriting an imperfect world and they're coming to that realization that we did what we could uh, yeah. and we're giving them damaged goods. And now it's their job to fix it. And that's not fair. And it's not right yeah. but it's what it, that's so it feels like inheriting a dystopia so we hmm. made we made the 8th grade book a dystopian story where we explored those themes and oh, so cool. yeah it was it was I, I feel really proud of that project and i wish it, yeah. i wish uh, I, I could publish it to a wider audience but anyway sure. <clears throat> but i i think there's there's something that's something i'm more fascinated by nowadays is like not because I also don't want to tear down the institution of good versus evil. I just want to say, mm -hmm. yes, and let's also mm -hmm. add this nuance to it. Um, yeah. This, oh, man, it's, it's so funny that we're having this discussion right now because I, I just 
attended a graduation for the first time in a long time for some students okay. uh, for a residency that I, w- I was part of and at our graduation i mean you've been to them there's a lot of speech making around how hard you worked and how like in the, this this particular one is like you showed up with a smile no matter what was going on in your life you gave your all you gave 110 percent oh i got problems with that expression 110 <laughs> And not just because it's mathematically impossible, but because it's like it's yeah. it's what the implications are of giving 110 percent of yourself to anything, right? And it it started to breathe a little bit of the odor of toxic positivity of like no matter what's going on, you be a good little worker bee. You give yeah. it you give it your all, and if you're experiencing pain, well, that's your fault, right? If you yeah. have if yeah. you are neurologically different, if you have like ADHD, and this is more of a struggle for you. Well, still show up with a smile because that's the only way we're giving the medals out is the people who like really excel and show up with a smile. And so I found myself compelled to like as as all the congratulations were happening at the end, meeting the parents and everything. And they're all saying like, you're about to enter the best time of your life. These years are going to be so good for you. And that I felt the need to interject and say, and you're going to probably feel sad. And when yeah. you feel that sadness, lean into it and fully experience it because that's what's going to make your art great is like you feeling all the feelings like a true human being. Because wow. again, I'm thinking yeah. about these kids like what if it's not the best four years of their life, right? What if it yeah. kind of stinks? Is it their fault, right? So I don't know how we arrived at this, but this like this, this notion of um, embracing the ambiguous nature of being... Uh, a morally upright being and also accepting that irreducible rascality. And I think, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's all in the character. Um, yeah. It's all in the character. And li- like, I don't know, yeah, it's like, I think that that's where like, cause there's that, there's that thing where they say, um, there's that point that got bandied about for a while that, you know, like, like the end of, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, like th- would have ended the same way whether uh, Indiana Jones was involved or not, right? <laughs> Which That's is true. That's true. <laughs> like they still got the Ark to the island, and it would all and they all died, and they would all looked into it, and it, no, no difference. <laughs> but, um, but he changes, and that's maybe, yeah. yeah, like, like the point of it all. Like he, he, his, his internal thing shifts a little bit you know yeah. um and he's like kind of got his eyes open to unexplainable things and 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 wonder and um and and i feel like maybe that's the thing like like that dovetails nicely with like it's it's weird to tell that story if this is the same character who lived through um you know all the young indiana jones chronicles because all of that is about living this thing where you're kind of meeting new people open you've got open arms to life like that's yeah. kind of what he does in the indiana jones chronicles like okay. he's always meeting interesting people i mean it's par- partially because he's like yeah let's do it let's 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 try let's let's try this thing let's try that thing um so i don't know yeah that's that's what i that, there's that more ambiguity but there's also um i don't know like i like that's why that i think that's what my one of the, the drums i beat when i talk to kids is uh, part of the part of the job of the storyteller is to draw from life, and then I do this sort of like this sort of like thing about drawing from about literally looking at a thing and trying to draw it from life. Yeah. But then the larger point being the job of the storyteller is to really go out with open eyes into the world, really like exactly what you were saying. Yeah, like feel all those feelings. Yeah, um, 
like live with open arms and then that's where stories that's where the good stuff comes from well and in the case of indiana jones it's that tension of those two different parts of his uh, not there's more than two parts but like those two poles um the tension between them is what creates the transformation when he yeah. Has, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that's what transforms him as a person at the end, so that he's different a little bit. And it doesn't matter yeah. how much he's different. The in Temple of Doom, when he says, "I understand their power now," that's a transformation, right? Yeah. And it's it's yeah. not much, but it's enough of a turn of the dial that we see the difference. Um, do you want to talk about the movies now? Yes, let's talk okay. about the movies because there's a new movie coming out as we record this, and I know you're excited. And, and... I am very excited <laughs> and very uh, nervous. Uh, as, as anybody probably, as a lot of people probably are, I don't know. Cause it's definitely the last Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it probably is. Well, I mean, unless they do deep fake ones after this, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but we're entering a whole new world, but okay. Where do you want to, do you okay. want to start with your favorite? Do you want to start chronologically? I, I turn you, it you, over you to go, you, you tell, I want to turn it over to you. Oh, okay. Uh, you have an idea. <laughs> Well, let's just do it chronologically. So Raiders Lost okay. Ark, which I know you didn't encounter first, but you must have encountered eventually. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. what, how does Ben Hackey feel about Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, my clearest Raiders of the Lost Ark um, thing was was pretty late in the game when um, I was working at uh, Purdue University over the summer after my senior year, cleaning well houses and painting yellow stripes on on curbs and just doing a lot of hot and nasty work and i I was clearly still in to indiana jones because i remember having that hat and and loaning it to a girl i liked and (laughs) but my two friends there uh who worked on the job with me like ended up being super interesting guys and they uh, i remember my friend um AJ, his name was actually Arjun Sinha. So um, he was uh, uh, Indian uh, and um, he just had a really fascinating uh, mind and backstory. He ended up being a doctor, but he, he it was his, he, he was like all talking about how it was like a perfect movie. Mm. Uh, and when I left that job at the end, they gave me like, they had made me a, a AJ and Chris had made a, a um, cassette tape uh, of soundtracks of movie soundtracks. Oh wow! And, and like that was the that that Indiana Jones theme was like, which I already deeply loved. Was like the first one there. But he, he I just remember him talking about not just like Indiana Jones as a character, but that being like like a perfect example of a movie. Mm-hmm. And so, so I like I watch Raider like that, like being like, oh, this was sort of the idea of Indiana Jones and be and the idea of like this perfect little gem of what the action movie would become or what the adventure movie is, mm-hmm. I guess. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're, t- you're, you're connecting it to a personal experience too with, with how you yeah. encountered it. Cause yeah, I, like I said, I never saw it in the theater, but, um, we rented it on laser disc. Do you remember those old video discs? Yeah. They're really yeah, big. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, to this day, I, you had to flip them over. They, you couldn't hold mm-hmm. the whole movie on one side. So yeah. uh, the part when he looks through the, uh, what is that like cartography tool he uses to like measure out where the, the, the actual t- well of souls oh, is? Oh, yeah. Like a, yeah. Like a site, like a leveler site. Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. And he puts his hand on top. He says, well, that's it. He, when he figures out where it is, that was the point you flip it over. And I, I still to this day, because I've watched it 
so many times on that video disc because like this is like right. 85 so i was okay. like full on that's into the character. disc over okay that's yeah. right yeah um other i mean other reflections of it, it does, i guess yeah go ahead. please please ben just to just to i think that was my that's my imp- like impression of the movie uh, clearly i'd seen it several times before that summer like that's my senior year i feel like raiders though like that was my relationship to it as as it just being in the cultural background i don't like it was so already there that i don't remember gotcha gotcha i think that would be it okay yeah yeah I remember there was a time in my childhood where I felt like uh, Temple of Doom was the inferior film because it didn't have Nazis in it. And I remember being really Hmm. happy when I saw Last Crusade in the theater and I was like, oh, the Nazis are back. (laughs) As a a young person, I wanted to make things unambiguous. I liked the the clarity of good and evil. And there's like there's a lot of clarity in that story in terms of like who the villains are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So. I think Temple of Doom, I think the fact that it felt a little messier in that regard, like was unappealing to me for a while, but then I fell back in love with it as I got older. But so I think when I think of Raiders, it for in my youth, it was sort of like the um, canonical description of what the scenario is like, do this every time it's going to be good. Right. Like all fans do with their favorite thing. Um, Yeah. But you're right. It was because I encountered a little bit later it was already a thing that I was seeing on television all the time. People talking yes. about it, commercials, movie trails, et cetera. So yes. It and it was be- already like, like, so when we were growing up, it was already like, uh, repeated in the culture with ducktails and, yeah. uh, all these things where well, like that script was already on it. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if we were to talk about tales of the gold monkey, which was a television show, which was like really trying to like capitalize on, yeah, the- which I am completely unfamiliar with. Wow. I, I, yeah. I was, hardcore into that show as a child i remember like playing pretend in the playground i'm jake cutter you know from tales of the nice Monkey, okay which uh was like yeah it was a uh, i forget it was a network television show with the guy from seventh heaven or decker from the first Star oh Trek okay movie, and playing the indiana jones character except he's a pilot now so he's kind of like launchpad okay. mcquack a little bit yeah 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 but, yeah but yeah so like that vibe was very present for me as a young person just in a general okay. sense but with things like ducktales and stuff so yeah yeah um, how much, how much, how much Indiana Jones DNA do you think is in MacGyver? Oh gosh, I hadn't thought about that. Okay. Were you, you were into that show, weren't you? I loved MacGyver. <laughs> I loved MacGyver. And, and like the other, like last time Angelica was home on break, I said like something about MacGyver and she said, who's MacGyver? <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this thing. This is a moment we're having right now I'm gonna tell you about <laughs> MacGyver. And I loved it so much. I was basically told like the, the whole thing I said was like, like the core of MacGyver is like, you can figure it out. Yeah. I and, love, that's it. And, and he's, he's handsome, but he's also kind of disheveled in the same way that yeah. Indiana Jones is disheveled. Yeah. And he wears the leather jacket. So, yeah. I think this is a good, this is a good distinction to draw is like, as a kid, I super didn't get James Bond. Like I, I, yeah. I, Me I neither. got, I thought the Never. gadgets and everything were cool, but the fact yeah. that he's like gambling in a casino in a tuxedo, I'm like, nothing about this looks comfortable to me. It's Indiana, all fancy. Yes. You have to put the worst clothes that the, if you're, when you're made to wear these clothes, it's terrible. That's like right. he's got his church clothes on. He's what? got, he's got his Sunday best on to do an adventure. Indiana yeah. Jones can nap wherever he is the way he's dressed. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Connery isn't napping. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I think the, the MacGyver has a little bit of that too. Like there was yeah. something that I found very appealing about the somewhat disheveled hero. And like even as a kid too, like when Luke shows up in Return of the Jedi, he's at the all black outfit. Like there was something that as a child I felt like a little disappointed by. Like yeah, it's like Yeah, 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 I can see that. A little yeah. formal. Yeah, it looks a little, a little formal, formal now. now. And I, I yeah. love it now as an adult. But as a kid, there was something about yeah. like the guy who like you could tell that he's good looking, but at the same time, he didn't primp himself to be here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I so, do like that very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something there's something uh, that is even more handsome about being handsome and scruffy. So Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Temple of Doom, um, I already shared, like, that was the formative one for me. That's the one yeah. that I still feel like I have so much deep affection for because I encountered it at the right time. But also, it's got the whole thing about children. It's got, it, you're saving children from the darkest, scariest place in the world. Like, all of my heart is on the line for that one. But what? how does Ben encounter that movie? I think you've made me love it more now, just from this conversation, from pulling out the, those themes and things. Because for me, and I, I'm uh, sort of abashed to, to, to admit this, but like I always um, thought that it was the lesser movie mm. for not having that. Like cause the, the other two in that trilogy – uh, have that sort of Judeo-Christian yep. relic at the core, yep. and for me, it was always like really important. Yeah. Uh, um, also, because it kind of like that's where it kind of touched my life, right? Yeah. And like, I can see like that. part of part of the college I went to, like I know that like part of that emotional decision was that the uh, the founder of the college, who was also the head of the history department, <laughs> like looked and acted a lot like Marcus Brody. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I was like, oh, okay. He's a real historian, I guess. I Yeah. Oh, we got to talk about Marcus Brody when we talk about uh, Last Crusade. But yeah. what's what's funny, here's where we get to like the different paths we trod as children, is that this I encountered Temple of Doom around the same time I started encountering mythology as a general topic. So oh, I started neat. reading. Okay. I was reading Edith Hamilton's, you know, Norse yeah. and, and um, Greek mythology, and Rick coming to the realization that oh, different parts of the world in different times they worship different things. Yeah. And when I was seeing, as even as an eleven year old, I was picking up on the parallels of like oh Thor. I know Thor from the comics. Oh wait, he was like a real god to a people at one time. Like I'm I, I'm finding inroads to this really quickly, and I'm really loving right. it. So like that. It was sort of like discovering a whole whole new comic universes that I never knew about. So I think what appealed to me about Temple of Doom 2 was, oh, here's another, like the Kali cults. That was a real thing. And I didn't know this. So, yeah. so I think that my openness to the novelty, I think, made it more available to me as a child. See, that's that's great. And I feel like I, I, I want to rewatch it again and again just to to appreciate it. Because I did rewatch the beginning and like, like, oh, now we're gonna do an Indiana Jones movie and start with this crazy musical number. <laughs> like, I love it. Yeah, that was a bold move, and I love that. Yeah, and, and I feel like, like, I have to like. You remember when I watched uh, Gremlins two with Zach? Yeah. Because when I was young, I thought that movie was silly. Yeah. Gremlins was serious. <laughs> Gremlins two is silly. Like. 
like I carried that with me a long time. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's how I felt about Temple of Doom because it's got the um, the uh, uh, the mining car thing yes. chase and and they're like it's jumping from the thing to the thing and I was like totally that's just silly. Oh yeah. But, it's not like the tank chase isn't silly, right? Like, right, right. Yeah, the the tank. The other thing, the other, there's not very realistic, <laughs> but for some reason, Temple of Doom struck me as more like of a cartoon. Well, it was it, it was talked about that way too. I remember movie really? reviewers okay. at the time really like stressing like this is like the fact that he jumps out of a plane with an inflatable raft and like there was like right. a little bit of a, like a Gene Sis. I don't remember Gene Sisko, but that kind of attitude like really is this is what we're doing, you know? Because mm-hmm. I remember I did for a class project a movie review of Temple of Doom having seen okay. it in the theater and I took that tone. I know I was aping the adults in my life of like, you know, yeah. George Lucas come out with the special effects kind of thing, but um. <laughs> I'll tell you if you rewatch it, the uh, the scene that makes me tear up every time I watch it is the part where there's one of those bad thuggy guards is whipping a child in the in the mine, and then all of a sudden, uh, the mining cart light pulls up, and it, you see Indiana Jones standing like backlit. Uh, oh, like, nice! Behind uh, him? Yeah, there's like well, the light the light hits him, but he's also backlit by the mining tunnel. Um, okay. and like the guy looks up but he sees, or no, actually I think the guy's whipping the kid and like somebody punches the, the, the thuggy guard and then he, he spills out in front of all the children. They look up and they see Indiana Jones standing there with this, like, I'm here for you. Thuggy guards. Look. Nice. And it's the whole, like, you don't want to try it. You're hurting children right now. Oh my God. It gets me every GD time. <laughs> but, but yeah. And then there's the part where they're freeing all the kids and the kids are all beating up the guards all Ewok style. So it's like, it's got all the darkness that like a teenage me is all into like, Oh, he's ripping out his heart, dude. That's so, that's so metal. But it's also got all the sweetness of saving children. So, but, and also I love Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies. So that opening number like feels really authentic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally like 1930s dance number. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways more true to the time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now we get to your favorite. Now it is last crusade. Yeah. Uh, Boy, what else to say about Last Crusade? Uh, most quoted movie between me and Denver, I think. Denver's always like, I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. <laughs> Let the birds of the air be your armies. And the fish of the something else. Well, but yeah. like uh, that, but part of like, I, I feel like I never until I was an adult, like uh, appreciated the, how much Sean Connery was, was like bringing to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Like there, that that chemistry is fantastic, and and so that's one that I would just like put on, and um, but man, it that was such an important movie for me, um, and yeah, and I think it just like like I feel like that's the movie that I wanted to live in or like smell the smells of, and um, and would so I got to go on a trip to to Europe when I was like. God, middle of high school, 1994, something like this, 15. It was an art school trip, 16, something like that. Those mm. were years where I was doing a lot of different stuff. And I even remember that, like, uh, like the I had a journal. Oh, I had a journal. for. I was going to go on this trip, and I should tell you about my neighbor, Doc Schulte, okay. who was my Indiana Jones, like, like old – like what he be, my version of who, who Indiana Jones becomes when he's old. So I had this old, this neighbor, Doc Schulte. He was an old historian. He'd also been the town coroner 
uh, wow. <clears throat> for years. And when you go to his house, he had this basement in his house that was just full of uh, artifacts. And he had like traveled the world and amassed these artifacts, like like things they brought back from different things. But he was also like he had also had a really wonderful uh, collection of like uh, arrowheads, Native American arrowheads, all found in that region, which I actually grew up with too from my grandpa's farm. He would stop plowing and and pick up these. So I still have this box of these, and um, which is par- partially why I got my my. That's a tracing of one of the arrowheads, mm-hmm. and um, but he was the first one to. Um, pull out, you know, like a dusty tome, dusty tome, a book, and and be and like be like, here's how you date these. Here's how we find the different time oh, period, wow. different designs come from. And so we put them in different envelopes marked with different um, epochs or whatever, you know, set of years that this design kind of swept through this area. Um, so he was really, um, and he's the one who gave me uh, the the journal that I brought with me on that on that trip and was like my like thing that it was like this little um just like a pretty like lined paper journal but for me it was the grail diary that i was bringing with me well there's something i mean pardon using like judeo-christian language around this there's something of a blessing in that like when the elder gives you an object to use in that way it's something like yeah there's something of a something of that energy in it yeah, um, that's really so carrying cool. that with me through that was was a big thing. And I feel like I was I was I was clearly carrying that like like idea with me into the mm-hmm. onto this trip. Um, oh. So that was cool. So I, I feel like that was just it was just super for. Oh, and I gave so a couple of years ago. And I know you know this about this already, but I uh, I gave Denver for Christmas. It was like just last Christmas. I gave Denver a replica of the Grail Diary. Um, so great that, that, that I like I. I found it online and I got it. And then I, um, I actually even like hung it over, uh, like incense. So it would get that, like this good smell and stuff. And it was a, that was one of the first, uh, Christmas gifts that I've ever given where I was like, I don't really want to give this. I kind of want to keep this. <laughs> so yeah. <good. laughs> we're like, mm, I wish I was keeping this for myself, but, <laughs> but it was fun. That was fun. So, so that's, that's that movie. What are the things about that? Know, Go ahead. What? I, 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 I'm not talking about the movie itself. I'm still just talking about my impressions of it. Well, no, that's uh, great. That's great. Like, thinking about like that contextual, you know, how you in, in, interacted with it and like how, how it carries itself in other parts of your life is one of the things I wanted to explore through this discussion. Um, but what I think of when I think of the movie is I've had the privilege of encountering you as a friend before I met your family. Same mm. with Zach, our, our mutual friend, Zach Gialongo. And I've yes. also had the privilege of watching you interact with your parents. And yes. it's, it's really fascinating. Like, like there was a, we did the cartoon caravan years ago where we like, mm-hmm. as a group of us, a whole bunch of us cartoonists, like sort of went to a two calf and then came down to Columbus, Ohio to go to the Billy Ireland. And then we went to Indiana. And one of the stops was Kokomo, Indiana, where I was hanging out with Zach and his mom. And she took us to a toy store together and like dropped us off. <laughs> we like, oh, the toy store. My and she's God. like, I'll be back at six and watching Zach sort of like, and once I called attention to it, he was like really like uncomfortable, but like watching him do the whole like, thanks mom kind of thing. And I feel like that's part of the energy of last crusade is watching the whole, cause like, cause Sean Connery shuts him down constantly. Like, Junior, you know, yelling yeah, that in his yeah, face, yeah, yeah. you know? And so you're watching this guy who had all yeah, this, he, he shrinks down to it. He's like, okay. Yeah. 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 And yeah, there's the part when he, when he says Jesus Christ and he slaps him in the face for that, you know? And like, yeah, that's 
That's and, right. And he takes it, right? Um, so there's something about that of like watching this guy with all this sexy swagger and all this capability, despite the fact that he's often overmatched, watching him be a little bit more boyish and watch yeah. him and watch him experience the vulnerability of needing his dad and not just needing yeah. his dad to save him, but needing his dad's approval and his, his, needing his dad to see him, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really special. That is cool. <laughs> yeah. And also that's the one when Marcus Brody became a comical character. Cause in Raiders, he's just like this nice British man who hangs out with Indiana Jones in, in the yeah. school. But then you get that scene with like, he got lost in his own museum, you know, and they show yeah. him in that crowd. He's like walking around like, does anybody know where I am? So. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah it, it drifts from moment to moment really well in that movie. And you're right. Him getting, uh, sort of taken aback by his dad or or entering into that relationship. I think it's the other thing that I keep thinking about is that when he, he gets, he goes out the window and then he gets picked up by those guys yeah. and brought to Donovan's house. Is it Donovan? I think the, so. Yeah. Yeah. The rich guy with a, the shield, the rich guy with the shield. And he's, it's a very fancy party. Yeah. And he is very much like, Oh, now I'm in this fancy party. I have a glass of champagne. I'm looking at this thing. I'm doing a sort of a academic consult. Yeah. And that scene really like I think you need that scene to see the later things with the Sean Connery. Yeah. Um, uh, that's cool. Wow. Also, it has that terrific opening with River Phoenix playing young Indiana Jones and he just channels Harrison Ford yeah. so well. That really works. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. And and that's that's one of the like that's one of the non thematic parts of the score that's really, really great. Mm. Like. Um, that first track on the on that um, score, it doesn't have the. It has only a tiny hints of the Indiana Jones theme. Oh, that's right. But they it's don't just play a totally it. different theme. They don't play yeah. it until the until the scoundrel puts the hat on his head, yeah. and then he looks yeah, yeah, yeah. down, and then he looks up again, and now he's a, he's a grown up, yeah. and he's on yeah. that boat with that same guy trying to get the same treasure. Yeah, yeah. A lot of good little movie making things like that, like like. Uh, you could just cut, right? But no, they did it. They they switched scenes this way. Beautiful. Yeah, it is really good. All right, so can we briefly talk about uh, Crystal Skull, which I've only seen like maybe once or twice. And I yeah. remember, I think part of this was me just being like, I don't want to scream with the fanboys. So like, I looked at it, and I was like, it's not that bad. Why is everybody so mad mm -hmm. about this movie? And like, everybody's like, oh, the part with the refrigerator. I'm like, that is like, it, it absolutely on par with him jumping out of a plane with an inflatable boat. Like, I yeah. don't feel like it's that big of a leap, but true. I did not really care for Shia LaBeouf's character in the story. I think that was part of what was making it hard for me yeah. to like it, but I loved yeah. a lot of the other stuff in it. And I thought like yeah. bringing in the Soviets because they were enemy at the time, quote unquote, yeah. did, I'd have a problem with that. So where, where are you on Crystal Skull? I think Shia LaBeouf, I like, I don't like to not like it because of him, but like he really was a wet blanket on it. Um, because it's always pairing him with somebody who's got some crackling energy, like, yeah. like Indian Marion, right? Right. Indian short round. Then it's uh, it, Sean Connery and Indiana Jones. Uh, and then Shia LaBeouf and like they, they just didn't have any kind of chemistry. It didn't feel like, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that was, that was too bad. And like, like saying Kate Blanchett in a, in an Indiana Jones movie, like, if you said that to me, I would be like, oh, I definitely want to watch this movie. But again, like she's one of my favorite um, actors and and like it's not 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 there. It seemed like mm. they didn't 
have like a lot of direction for her or something like this. And then at the end, it was like CGI monkeys. And I remember <laughs> seeing it. I remember seeing it in the theater. Um, we saw it with Denver. And then in Denver, and I don't know if they were married at the point, but so like his little sister and her fiance or, or husband. And like, I remember it, like if they weren't there, I probably wouldn't have quite felt as embarrassed, but like, you know, when you like, I don't know, like I, I, I also realized that I'm bringing a lot, I, I bring a, seeing movies with people. I bring a lot of um, baggage. in. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, because you you almost feel like an ambassador for it. Excited, yes. And if yeah. it's the movie you're excited for, and um, and you're seeing it with somebody, and and you they're not like I don't think he was really much of an Indiana Jones guy, and so I don't know. I just felt really. I had I had that feeling. So I think I've told you this story before. When I when I was really excited to see Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. Beautiful Tim Burton stop motion thing. Yeah. It came out when I was junior high or something like this. Young and young enough that I was well, I would be in, into it at any time, but just old enough that my friends would go with me, and then I would feel like, oh shoot, I took them to a movie that there, <laughs> they feel too old for, <laughs> and this is silly, and now I feel like on the spot. <laughs> for for me, it my... was it was the Phantom that I I was really. Oh my gosh, that's an awesome movie. It it is, but I took people who didn't love old pulpy stuff, right? So like I'm like coming off of like Indiana Jones, The Rocketeer. I read yeah. like 1940s comics. I'm yeah. like, this is gonna be great. Yeah. And then I'm with these people who are like, they're like, if they're into comics, it's X Men, and they're really into Rob Liefeld, like X Force yeah. and stuff like that. So like, this is ridiculous, you know. So it's no like, smoking in the Skull Cave is not gonna is gonna <laughs> fall flat for them. Shoot, <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> but yeah, I get it. I've I've had that experience where you kind of like feel like you're kind of um not evangelizing it, but you're kind of representing it in a way with your enthusiasm. And then when yeah. you're in the presence yeah. of somebody who doesn't feel that it's, it does, it does put a little bit of cold water on it. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I, I should rewatch it. Cause I, I also love, is it John Hurt? No, William Hurt, who plays the old scientist who is driven insane. Oh by the, yeah. By the skulls. And I love him. So yeah. I should give that another chance. That's but, interesting. And I did not watch the young Indiana Jones TV show very much. I think I watched me one or two episodes. So okay. like, your, your reflection on that is like, feels like news to me. I didn't realize that it was that, that was the story. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes through his whole life. It like, or his whole, like there's, they, they split it between his, like the little kid playing him and the, and, uh, Sean Patrick of Flaherty playing him as like a 20 something. Mm. So it's to be like a spy in world war one. And, and, um, it's, it's fun. It's like they, they drag a bit. Like they're not like they're not very snappy viewing, um, okay. but they're they're done with with love. It feels like. Hmm. So I don't know. Those are good. Um, and then I had written novels. I think I've read one Indiana Jones novel and. I don't know. It was not memorable. Why you're, you're looking like you I, have. I just remembered I had. I, I read oh, okay. one when I was in elementary school, and I remember very little about it. But I remember yeah. that he—it was him on an adventure with a cousin of his, or something. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but I remember I like it, not liking it very much. But I think probably part of that was I didn't really have a love of reading yet, the way I, mm -hmm, I, I mm -hmm. grew into. But okay. And then you had written games. What, what I don't—I have not played any Indiana Jones games. Uh, there were a few PC games that I remember playing in the nineties. 
Um, okay. And, and I mean, of course, there was Pitfall, which was basically like trying to be like capitalized on the popularity of right. Indiana Jones as a character. But I didn't know if you played any of them at all. I didn't know. But we played. Um, I used to have a like and I know like Laura Croft is yeah. not Indiana Jones, but there was a puzzle game for the iPad with that, which there, there were parts of it. Where I was like, oh, this would be like this is what an Indiana Jones game would feel like. Yeah. Um, it was kind of fun. Uh, so yeah. And then the Disney rides. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is where I realized how much more I loved Indiana Jones than Star Wars. I, again, I like Star Wars. I don't dislike it. It's part mm-hmm. of our, our heritage as people who grew up when we did, but Anne and I went to Disneyland in Anaheim and we went on the Star Tours ride and my wife, Anne is way into Star Wars. So okay. she was like, okay, we're doing that again. Right. I'm like, yeah, we'll go get in line again. And we went again. And then we went to the Indiana Jones ride and like I, I Star Tours is amazing. It's, it's, it's a really cool immersive experience and everything. Mm-hmm. And it was fun to see like a C-3PO piloting the ship and turning around and talking to us. It was like, it was weirdly immersive, but then we went to the Indiana Jones ride where you're waiting in line and you're in one of these <clears throat> ancient temples and like oh. something, have you been to it? No. Oh my gosh. Like the, the, cause it's Disney. So like you're the, the line waiting is an experience in and of itself. And you're walking through this old jungle temple with all the noises that you hear in the movies and everything. <laughs> and I felt something stir in me. And I was like, Oh my God, oh, I'm in nice. the world. I'm here. I'm in it, you know? And then you get in the car and Sala is your guide and he's talking to you over the radio and you go through this one room where there's like a bunch of carvings on the wall that are all blowing darts at you, but there's no darts just blowing <laughs> air at you, you know, but like, it's like, oh, that was feeling it. Like the air. Cause it's like, Oh, they just missed me. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's nice. I like, I like that. It's it, and like, he, he shows up as a character in it a couple times, but I'm like, this is, it's less important for me to see him than it is for me to like experience the world that he lives in. Right. And that's yeah, where, yeah, 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 yeah. So if you can't, I, cool. I think you would enjoy it. I, I, I'll put that on the list. <laughs> that's cool. All right. I want to respect your time and the audience's time. So as we close, I think it's a good place to close. Uh, you wrote down a really good question that I think is worth thinking about. And I think we kind of uh, circumambulated it a little bit. Maybe it'd be a good okay. place to like rearticulate it or if there's any other spin we want to put on it. But what's the question, Ben? Uh, oh. uh, what is the question? <laughs> Why don't you tell me what the question was? Because <laughs> I... I... I have our show notes here and I printed them out before I made the, uh, before I wrote my question in. <laughs> you wrote what inspiration from the character can we emulate or take into the world? Um, which is like, you just like waved catnip under my face when you said that. <laughs> yes. And I feel like, you know, like, I feel like we've kind of been, you're right. Circling it, uh, 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 the whole time. Um, but for me, it's the 90, 10 split. Yeah. Um, uh, and and the power of uh, uh, like studying and learning, like and continuing that. That's that's what I'm gonna say. I don't know, cause like, but I think the the the, the like, cause I did study. I I I, I mean, I guess I, I said I studied history partially because of Indiana Jones. Um, that was why. Pick that major in college. That's so cool. And and I have still like I still have uh, an affinity for a certain kind of history, a certain kind of history writing, mm-hmm. and um, and I feel like like that I want to bring like the academic Indiana Jones um uh, to life in me. 
Like I really want to do. So I love the the books of like Daniel Borstein. He's like a he, like he was writing mostly in the 70s and 80s. What was he? Library of Congress historian. Mm. But and when you look at his like we should put it in the show notes a picture of him because he's got the glasses and the bow tie and the the crowded desk and and he's like he's the he's the there's there's something about that that I just I want to remember and celebrate the good aspects of mm. um Mm. Uh, uh, of l- both living the human story and telling the human story. And um, yeah, oh, th- that would be it. That's a lovely Living thought. as if you need a leather jacket too. <laughs> living as if that, that makes sense in your life. Oh, no matter how much you're studying, no matter how much you're working at the desk, you probably ought to have some like abrasion resistant garment for some part of your life. Yeah, that that feels like a very authentic expression from you because I could see that of you being in that introverted mode of being at the desk. Then all of a sudden you hear something out the window and it's time to throw on that beat up old jacket and yeah, climb but it's out also the window. easy not to do it too. Yeah, like it's easy to get to not do that ten percent. It's easy to not climb out the window, especially when you feel like you've got to stay at the desk. <laughs> and I do think like one thing I want to carry with me is knowing when to climb out the window. I love it and. Uh, and there's also like your idea of him being a, a, a vulnerable hero, a physically vulnerable hero is great. Um, one other story I would tell is like um, one time I did go to like a camp, an adventure camp ex- like experience with Denver. And it was the first time I went um, rappelling. Oh, wow. And it was terrifying. It's absolutely and, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And then like and they clipped me up to the thing and it was on the edge of like a cliff. And they were like, now you lean back. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's the thing is like, and it's like, of course you're afraid. Yeah. And that's what you see with Indiana Jones too. Like he plays the character. It was, of course that hurt. Yeah. We're not, it's not, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not Conan or something like this. He's Indiana Jones. Of course he's afraid of this. Like you're, that's a human thing, but he does go over the, he does lean back over the, or whatever it is. Right. Yep. And so you can think of that when you lean back over the thing, like that's part of life, like doing the, the scary thing and just being like, of course it's, yes, it is scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's the scene in Temple of Doom where they're climbing out onto the wall when all that water comes rushing out of the mine shaft. And he, he does this like stumbling thing where he's like trying to keep his foothold while the water's pushing past him. And you see him like stumbling in this really clumsy, not attractive way. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It's stuff like that. And yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, something that feels like it gives permission. I think the, the, that would be my takeaway is it's the rascality. That's something I'd never mm. give myself permission to experience. And when I do, I'm very hard on myself. Oh, um, nice. Okay. And the jumping out the, or knowing when to climb out the window is good too, because this is something that's come up as I've uh, been going through therapy is this, my therapist asked me as we were exploring like my, my ardent uh, effort in making art and she said, who's the taskmaster who keeps you doing that? I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no taskmaster doing that. Like, Good this question. Is, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, you do it because it's the right thing to do. And, and then I realized, oh, what does that say? What's the wrong thing to do? The wrong thing to do is to not do it. You know, oh, yeah. whoa, who is doing that judgment inside of me, right? Yeah. So like that rascality is part of what gives me the push and the permission to climb out the window for that 10%. But then That's also, cool. but also, um, yeah, and the rascality is what lets him 
let a guy walk into a propeller. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. it, 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 he knows when it's like appropriate to use that force to protect people who can't be, who can't protect themselves. So, yeah. And then also, yeah, the, the openness to transformation and encountering something that we might say, like, this goes into like folk horror and like the wicker man, you got the guy who comes to town he's like, oh, you pagans and all your silliness. But then it's like, oh, jokes on you. You know, it's like yeah. he wasn't open to it. And so that turns around on him kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that too, uh, that all those things are like what makes that that character like really feel eternally rich for me. And so mm -hmm. now... You know what? You know what happened, Ben? I didn't feel a lot of energy around going to see the new Indiana Jones movie, but now I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I like I can't I can't fathom not seeing it. So, <laughs> so I will go with my best hopes. I will climb out the window and go see that. Movie. Um, I do it. One last thing I do want to say about climbing out the window and knowing mm. when to do it. Uh, as I look around my office, uh, one of the my totems on my wall is the Prince Adam. Uh, that you gave me. Oh, that's right. And it was expressing that when you, the note that you, you wrote to go along with that gift uh, was expressing just that. It was like, like, like I know that life's full of like responsibilities and weights and everything, but you, you can know when to, um, for Prince Adams, it's like go fishing or something like yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. Similar, similar thought. You know? I'm sure anybody who's listening to this has probably heard me talk about that. But yes, the thing I love about Prince Adam and Cringer is that they present that there are times when it's appropriate to not be He-Man. Right? Yeah, he man is the best of us. Adam is how we really are, and sometimes that's disappointing to people. Sometimes King Rander goes like, and Tila says, <laughs> and points her finger at him. Yeah. But then he just chuckles about it because it's like, yeah, I'm going to be disappointing sometimes. And it's, it's as a guy who really is connected to good characters. I'm a good guy. I'm going to be a good guy today. Who wants to be a good guy? I do. You know. Yeah. Uh, it's it's hard for me to give myself permission to be in that space and so like, yeah, yeah. He, he he carries totemic magical energy for me too of reminding that's me cool. like don't forget to climb out the window that's good ah well thank you. thank you ben thank you this was this was <laughs> wonderful i really appreciated doing this okay well uh should we say this is the thing you do in these things um where can mm. people get uh the basement book Oh, that is coming out August 29th, so you can order it uh, wherever you order your books. Uh, I suggest your local bookstores. Uh, IndieBound is a nice website that will connect you to local bookstores to order books. Um, I really am excited to share things in the basement with, with readers. It feels like a different sort of book. Um, our good friend Zach Gialongo uh, uh, did a marvelous job coloring bringing that book to life actually with his colors mm. um so yeah things in the basement um and you can keep up with me <clears throat> i have a, a not very active website but you can find me on instagram as hey ben hatke and i do a lot of uh side projects on my patreon and and we should mention monster market which is the and the monster market podcast that it feels like at its best moments feels like an Indiana Jones foray um, <laughs> where we're like, like delving into folklore and mythologies, uh, Zach and I talking about a different set of monsters each episode. And then can we also give a plug to Sarah's uh, 
Leatherwork? Leatherworking, yeah. Wild Things Adventures uh, um, on Instagram is a good place to find Sarah. She made, um, I will just grab it. I think I've got it right here. She makes marvelous leather bags, leather items, leather adventure gear. Uh, I, I designed with her this uh, um, folio, I guess you'd call it, that I call the Leonardo. It clips your belt, it flips down, it holds your sketchbook and all your things. And we even designed a little uh, uh, Vitruvian man stamp for it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Sarah, Sarah, I, I, I see her when I visit, I go down to her little studio or like workshop, really. I'm just like mm. so impressed. That's um, cool. Well, I just, I think, yeah, we should give a shout out to it just because also, um, first of all, it, they look cool. But second of all, uh, I'm sure there's some people who are kind of itching for the perfect bag after hearing us talk about Indiana. Yeah, bag. So yeah, yeah, there's yeah. Where, there's where you can get That's things a good like Indiana that. Jones bag. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and Thanks. if you like the way we talk about this stuff, everybody, I hope you'll check out Dr. Bear, the inscrutable Dr. Bear in the case of the Two-Face statue. That's at drbear.com, B-A-E-R. It's not up for pre-order yet at the time of this recording, but you can hit other buttons to subscribe to mailing lists and things like that and be alerted when it's going to be available for pre-order. There's sample pages up, character designs, etc. So you can see, you'll be able to pick up on the influences that uh, Indiana Jones fed into it, I'm sure. 